Gigi. Hi, this is Regeline Sabat, also known as Gigi. You're listening to Walk With Me podcast. My guest today is Michelle Reinglass. Michelle is an author, lawyer, mediator, and speaker. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you so much. I really am honored to be on the show today. Thank you. You're welcome. It's an honor to have you here today. Now, why don't you start off by telling us more about you and where you are from? Okay. Well, I'm from Orange County, Southern California, a city called Laguna Beach. And I am a reformed lawyer turned mediator who also is an author, one part, part published on one book and upcoming on another book. And I'm also a speaker. And uh, I don't know what more you want at the moment. I love it. Now, what inspired you to become an attorney? <laughs> uh, and I was inspired. Well, what launched it was a very jealous former fiance. <laughs> so we went to high school together and we became boyfriend, girlfriend. It was our first full, you know, in love relationship, et cetera. We graduated together and we had to go to different colleges. So I was at UCI and he went to uh, a community college for two years and he transferred to a state college. He's extraordinarily jealous. That's all I could say is extraordinarily jealous. I had to fake the names of my guy buddies because he was convinced, you know, that I, I'd be having some affair. And just so you know, I, I've, I've, I've worked since I was 13 years old and I put myself through college and law school. <clears throat> but any event, so we he was really frustrated with not getting to see me all the time and was convinced I was doing all these other things. But I'm working, putting myself through school. So fast forward, he goes to a state college and he comes up with a brilliant idea. I'll have Michelle go, we'll do one course every semester at night and then I'll always know where she's at. <laughs> so while I have a full-time UCI load and I'm working like 30, 35 hours a week, I managed to do these night classes. So the first one was economics. I wish I was mature enough to have appreciated it because it's really a fascinating subject, but it bored me. And then the next one was accounting. Now I was a math major. Accounting sounds like Greek to someone who is a math major. So I just was really kind of frustrated with that course. But the third semester we did business law. So I fell in love with widgets and all the contracts and all the things that went on with it. And uh, also when I started at UCI, this is longer than you'd expect it, but when I started at UCI, they had orientation. And I was always career oriented since I was a little kid. And so I was going to be a math professor. My grandfather had been a professor. And so I, that's why I envisioned. But when the orientation, they said, by the way, all of you who are planning to be teachers better tube that idea because there's just there's no openings and there's just no jobs. So I'm like, what do you do? So I started planning for a statistician or an actuary. And so then all of a sudden this idea of going to law school came up. Voila. So I do owe that <laughs> to my jealous former fiance. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Now tell us more about your books. So um, book writing, actually writing has been one of my passions since I was young. Um, and I kept wanting to publish books. I have so many started books and novels and things that just never, I never finished. So I finally started writing my book that is going to be coming out soon. And it's all about life balance, but more than that. And that's the title for that book is How to Break Free from Addiction to Busy, which also has a backstory and uh, has a subtitle of Mastering the Art of Balance. And 
Um, in the middle, in the midst of writing that book, I was in a Jack Canfield program and met a person named Denise McCormick, and she was already a published author, in fact, a number one best-selling published author. So we got chatting, and she said, "Well, Kate Butler does these group books, and that's what the hers was." So then she approached me another time and said, "Are you interested in doing one of those?" And I, my immediate thought, and it's funny, I don't know if we haven't talked, gotten to deep into conversation or anything, but. Um, I'll call it my whispers. It was one of those things where I thought, oh my God, I am so busy. I'm working full time as a mediator now. And on top of that, I'm in this program and I'm writing my own book. How am I ever gonna write a chapter? How am I gonna find time to write a chapter? And then it was one of those whisper things that got really loud and just said, what an idiot to think that you should, shouldn't do it. And I went, you're right. So I decided that was gonna be a good opportunity. It was the best thing I could have ever done for myself. So in a matter of three months, 30 of us had our chapters written and then we all did publish. And that was a very exciting time launching the book together with 29 others. So we're all figure, like kind of sisters together. So that one is Women Who Empower. Um, and I have a book, I can look at it later. So um, with that's, so that book is amazing. And it just tells for me, everybody, we each have our own individual chapter. Everybody has an inspirational story. We did not know each other before this. Uh, well, some of us knew each other from the Jack Canfield program. It was like three of us. Um, the rest, we didn't know. We did not discuss our books or our stories beforehand. But what we all ended up having as a common theme was overcoming obstacles in our life and making it through to success. So it was a pretty interesting commonality. And we start learning it during the 30 days of pre-launch for the book as we're learning more and more about each other's books. And um, so mine, mine starts off with, uh, well, I'm actually in a traffic jam and I end up in the, right in the middle of like a 10 car pileup. And I'm the only one not impacted, not hit, not impacted, but I'm stuck between them. So I had to wait till the police, you know, came down and everything. And the reason that was important to mention that is I was on my way to a court in Riverside and it started at, I think, eight in the morning. And I'd always, always, always been early to court. And I finally figured out, and this is, by the way, for anyone who can think about this, this is pre-internet, it's pre-cell phones. So um, I knew I was gonna be about 10 minutes late. And so this has been the first time I ever even, didn't even show up just early. So I get to court as my 32nd court appearance, it was my last one I'd ever have to go to with this court and judge. The back part of that is the judge was very crooked and he and the, sorry about my cat. Come on, get, get down. <laughs> Come on, sweetie, down. <laughs> so um, anyway, the, uh, the, the judge and the lawyer that was on my case were pretty much in bed together. They owned property together. I learned all this through another judge. So there was a whole bunch of things that went on in the case. So it was just a, a travesty every single day I was there. And I apologize for a lot of noise outside. Um, it'll end in a moment. In any event, the I come up into the courthouse. Now, I'm 10 minutes late. That lawyer had, been, had shown up late every single one of my court appearances, but he magically was standing in court talking to the judge. And what he was talking about was trashing me. And he was calling me every name you could imagine. Um, and I'm sitting here just like, I'm like, I'm stunned that he's, they allowed the court to proceed. I had to wait. I didn't, I try not to give too much detail here, but we, I had to wait like any, up to like an hour, you know, in court for this guy to show up. But for me, they bring him on the moment they realize I'm coming in late. 
So anyway, I had to listen to all that and it was horrifying. And I, the, the, the upshot of it was um, I was able to get the judge to stop and let me make my you know responses. And this time, because it was my last hearing, I told the judge off. I told him off, but I was crying. He made me cry and listening to all that. And I was horrified. And that sort of starts this journey into my book wasn't really what I started it was but it was like what ultimately because I felt so humiliated as a woman to be crying I felt like I owed a duty to my sisters to show strength because it was really hard for me back then to be a very one of the few women and we didn't have respect in the first place and people didn't think highly of you in the first place then everyone had low expectations by the way we could never really do wrong because we, we out outdid the expectations but I kind of, I lived a life as a lawyer of always having to do more and better no matter what. And then no matter how busy you are, you have to take on more and more and things like that. But what was phenomenal about that story was um, I'm crying. And when I finally pack up and I leave, people in the aisles that were sitting in the aisles were like low-fiving me as I walked by. And I was trying to hold my head up, but I was trying to hold my back, my tears as well. So... I get to my office and I tell everybody what happened. And they said, the court reporter just called. And I said, oh my God, I can't talk to her. I'm so hum embarrassed. They said, take the phone. And I, as soon as I, she gets on the phone, I start apologizing for her having to watch me do that. And she said, stop. I called you not because of work. I called you to tell you that you inspired me so much that I'm going to law school. I went, what? <laughs> I said, I cried in court. I was a big baby. And she said, that judge makes women and men cry all the time. And she said, you're the first person who ever stood up to him. And you told him off and he deserved it. She goes, and I figured if you can do that, I can go to law school. So. Wow. Absolutely inspiring. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Now, tell us more about what your experience as a mediator is like. Being a mediator, this is a dream job. It's a hard job. People might think it's, hey, just go in and start talking, banging heads together. It's not like that. Um, it's every day we are, I call it a pseudo counselor, psychologist. Um, we're mediators, of course. <clears throat> we are nurturers. We're head bang, heads banging together. Um, we have so many hats that we have to wear. And I've never thought, called myself this before, but I've I've realized through this, I'm really an intuitive empath. And it's like, I, you just, I feel things, I feel people, and I'm dealing with people in pain every single day, <clears throat> whether it's the person who's been injured or harmed, or it's the person who is being sued, you know, whatever it is, the companies, whatever, it's just everybody's in pain and conflict. And, you know, people react in all different ways. There's never a day that's just calm. Uh, there might be people who are in tears, might be people who are yelling, might be people screaming, you know, things like that. Uh, and so I've had to use, uh, I've always, so one of my things is I've been feeling my life was out of balance and I'll tie this in uh, as a lawyer. And when I transitioned to becoming a mediator, I literally told everybody in my, my world, my family, don't worry, I'm gonna finally have time to see you guys and I'll have more time to spend with you. And, you know, it's just because of my job as a lawyer is always a trial lawyer and trial, it's just, you know. So, and then I found out, gosh, that's weird. Nothing's changed. So what's going wrong with the rest of the world that is creating my life that is still busy? 
So um, I started realizing that I have created it, workaholic, um, but it's more than that. It's just taking on things. So I'm not now I have a whole different system and how I evaluate and make responses to people. Um, and a problem is, and I think probably Gigi, you can relate to this. We want to help people, and it's really hard to turn someone down. You know, to to you know, if we if we helped every single person in the world that we encounter, we would be up 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, that kind of thing. And it's just hard not to be able to do it as much as you want to. And so I think that's the hard part. But in the mediations. Um, I am feeling everybody. I feel like I've actually a couple times I've cried in the mediation. Um, not, I guess not as embarrassed as I was in court, uh, but just more of just feeling what people have gone through. And, uh, but it's a re very rewarding job. I mean, it's just getting cases resolved, taking people's conflict. I guess I could sum up how it makes you feel when uh, I had a case I was in downtown Los Angeles uh, African-American woman who was very hardened. She's very hardened. She lived a very, very difficult life. And she was there on a race discrimination case. And, uh, and she was terminated from a job and a few other things, you know, and I was really, normally I connect with almost everybody I meet, but I was having a hard time breaking through for her. So I just was trying to give her as much space as possible and do the best I could. We finally got to a point where we were able to get, I had to do what's called a mediator's proposal to get the case settled. And so everybody, well, the lawyers appreciated it, you know, and she just kind of was like, I could tell she wasn't happy with the result. And so I told her, I kept saying, you don't have to do this. And she finally, but she said, yes. So that was it. So it was um, actually, a rainy day, a rainy evening. And I actually, cause I had broken my wrist, I was in a cast. So I had a driver who was taking me to LA and back. So he was waiting for me and I, or actually he was, wasn't waiting, but I saw he was gonna turn around and come back to where I was. And then she was waiting apparently for her Uber, her Uber call, Uber car, <laughs> that was a tongue twister. And so I, um, I just, you know, said hello. And she turned to me out of the blue and she said, is this really over? And I kind of said, you mean the case? And she said, yes. And I said, yes, the case is over. She goes, completely over? I said, yes. She goes like, never have to deal with it again. I said, never have to get to deal with it again. I said, you're gonna have your best night's sleep tonight that you've ever had. And so she paused for a minute. She broke into tears, threw her arms around me. This is pre-COVID. <laughs> and just started hugging me. And I just hugged her until her car came and so I can start crying again right now, but you know, that's the kind of stuff. So anytime I have a bad day there, I can just remember those kind of things. I love it. Very powerful. Now tell us more about your experience as the president of the Orange County Bar Association. Mm -hmm. I was the second female to be elected as president. Uh, the first female was actually a friend of mine. She had a kind of tumultuous year only because the bar was in tumultuous circumstances. So she was mopping up things and really didn't get enough credit, you know, for being the first female in a hundred years. And so three years later, you know, I took, I became president and for whatever reason, the press took notice of it. And so I was getting tons and tons of, you know, emails and all this kind of stuff, congratulations. And the press was calling me. And so my mother, I'll never forget this part. My mother called me that day. Um, and she said, 
and I'm getting congratulations all day. And my mother calls, she goes, why did you tell them your age? I'm like, whoa, um, hi mom. <laughs> you aren't calling to say congratulations? And she said, no, but why did you tell me your age? I said, I didn't tell my age. Stop that. So, and she said, um, she, she go, I said, why are you even caring? I mean, this is, what's this to you? She, my mother looks very, very young, by the way. She said, well, I've been lying to people about your age and now they're gonna know how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of the press just picks age. They put them in articles. But anyway, that was my intro. <laughs> it was an absolutely, it was a, we had an amazing year. We started off before I was even sworn in. We had a lawyer uh, who had embezzled $10 million from a woman's estate. He was representing her. And it was this huge scandal. Um, and I, so my, before I'm even the bar president, my predecessor, he uh, was called by Channel 7 um, News. They were driving down to you know, do a story on it. And he said, well, my term's gonna be over. So the person you need to talk to is Michelle. So the next thing I get is I get a call from, this. I think it's Barney Morris, it's Channel 7, I think it was. Anyway, he said, we're coming down and I see you. And I go, what? and he tells me what's going on. Meanwhile, I got a little heads up, but not a lot of heads up. Now I was wearing back and then it was the, the, the fashionable little leggings <laughs> and the big bulky shirt because I wasn't in court that day. And I found out what was going on and I said, oh my God. So I, I said, he said, how much longer do you have? And he was coming from LA. So I raced home to change clothes. And that was the start of my bar presidency. Um, and we also had, I started the very first, I create, I, there's something that would been a, uh, what something that was a passion for me was, basically women empowerment and women in the law because again i'm kind of cut a cutting edge you know one of the few women in the beginning and so i came up with the idea of a, a gender equity committee but none of the bar presidents before me were interested in it and that's fair you know they have their own agendas and they own their own their own passions that they want to promote so about six months before i took office i approached a judge i respect a lot and another lawyer I knew they were friends and they were similarly minded as I was. And I asked if they would co-chair this committee um, and they said yes. And that thing launched, we got it launched the December before my term even took place. All these things happened before I was even sworn in as bar president. So that was my life. Uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was an amazing year. We just, we did great. It, the bar association was just rocking and rolling. We set up hotlines for the elderly for the senior citizens who were built by, we found there was some people who were built and we provided lawyers to give free consultations so they could have their estate plan checked to make sure nobody else was being built. And new laws were established because of this, what this lawyer had done. And so it was a big deal. Um, and it was really wonderful. We got an op-ed piece in all the newspapers for that committee, these, the committees that we set up. We set up hotlines for the gender equity committee. We had judges and lawyers on the panel. And that morphed into what is now um, a whole different thing, and it's an, it's all a diversity. Um, you know, it's 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 expanded to full diversity committee, uh, which I love. Um, so it was a very rewarding year. I would never trade it for anything. A lot of work. I had two hundred of my own hours and one hundred and twenty bar hours every month <laughs> that I worked, but wouldn't trade it for anything. So. I love it. Now, what is your why that keeps you going? Oh, my goodness. Um, I know this sounds trite, but I'll say it anyway. I just love helping people. I love, it's, a, it's 
we, we were talking before this started just about something in your scenario, in your life scenario that gave me goosebumps. It's that kind of stuff where you get those goosebumps um, all the time. And it's when those things happen. And um, so I, I do, so I would say I love helping people. I have been supporting, I think I'm up to six or seven kids right now in Malawi, Africa. And uh, I actually went there in 2011, got to meet my first girl who's a student. These kids couldn't even, they not, not them, but neither families couldn't afford even the, the minor fee, the small fees to go to school. And they walked for hours every day to go to school and go back. And uh, so um, a, a, one of our judges, his wife began a foundation to build schools and to provide education to kids in Africa. They've also been working on, they found, they, they set up an internet place and then they also been bringing clean water and things. So I'm part of that group. And uh, I still have two kids, two kids. I, they're, one's married and uh, one's becoming a veterinarian and one's been in computers. Um, and these are from little, you know, since they were little kids in school. So, uh, and then, and I hold different venues. Some a friend of mine who is in uh, Uganda. I'm helping another a little girl there to help her get education. I can't tell you how much that lights me up. And I'm actually starting to teach the six, Jack Cansfield success principles to my two boys. Um, and the, one of them calls me mom in his letters. It just makes me cry every time, you know, just to see that. There's just so much. Blessed with everything I get to do. Um, my why is just to keep trucking, and I think we all go through down moods, down moments, down times <clears throat> where we're not in our best element. Um, for me, I, I now I'm getting successful at being able to go into my massive gratitude, so I can be on the floor, you know, in depression or whatever, and I'll just do massive gratitude, right? Like I'm seeing my, my elephant there, you know, I'll just start, oh, I'm so grateful for the wall. I'm so grateful for a chair, you know, just everything you can think of. And that gets me out. But when you're in those kind of moods, um, knowing that you have a reason to be here. And so it's having these reasons. And I realize for every single, and, you know, I've heard so many people say, if I can just help one person, and that's that same thing. And when you hear it's a second person, and it's a third person, you know, just go, you know, there isn't, an, there aren't enough of us to go around for the needs that there are out there. And so the more of us that can help people um, to achieve what we were, we're achieving and everyone's got the capability, they don't feel it. And I'm not being, you know, I'm not trying to be casual about someone who's been through traumatic, horrible things. It's just, we have those resources. And um, so the more that we can help people connect to those resources, that's what brings me joy. Absolutely amazing. Now, what is your best advice to the audience for walking with purpose and living a life of happiness? Hmm, that's great. Um, I think walking with purpose, and I think these go hand in hand, actually, and living a life of happiness. Um, it it's the if we reel it backwards, it's being aligned in what you're doing, aligned with what your purpose is. And I don't want anyone getting freaked out about the word purpose. Nobody really has to, I mean, there's, if somebody really wants to understand their purpose, you can learn your purpose by starting to think about what are those things that you absolutely love? What are those things that light you up? What are those things that just, just the thought of doing that gives you so much joy, um, you know, versus other things that, you know, and you, you always, that's what you want to do. 
those kind of things. But you don't even have to have that kind of intuitiveness. It's more of just, we all know that feeling where we are just, we, it's like a light bulb is inside of us, just radiating out of us, we're happy. And so it's being in that, that we should be feeling joy every day. And we, we're, it's our right, it's what we should be feeling. And so many of us, myself included, have lived through times where it's like, it's hard to find joy. Um, when I was living my whole life out of balance and addicted to busy, which hence the title of my upcoming book, um, as I was living that, and I know so many other people, every time I've mentioned the story, I just keep hearing people going, oh my God, you just described me. You just described me. I resonate so much with it. And that's another thing. It's like, oh, that's what's kept me going on my book. People keep asking me, when's the book coming out? When's the book coming out? So it's, it's when you get to that point where you realize that's not healthy, that type of way of living in out of balance, being out of balance is not healthy. And by the way, I believe strongly that when you're out of balance in one way area, you're out of balance everywhere. It's kind of that phrase, you know, how we do one thing is how we do everything. And so it permeates everywhere. And so it's just so critical to keep ourselves in balance. And that's what I'm trying to do with the book and, um, you know, helping people. And I can, you know, give people some tips, you know, I can get them started, I can get them, then I can get them more deeply into it. But that's what my goal is here. So I think it's lit, it's what is, what is it that we, our unique skills, what is it that we're able to bring to the table? What is it we're able to do? And I love the, you know, the walk with purpose, because walk is active. Walk is action. So a lot of people can have great intentions, but it's not until we have our inspired action that we actually accomplish what we want to do. And everything is accomplishable. And I just, I love your positive mindset. I loved your book, the part I've read so far. Um, and just, I, I endorse that so much. And so I think that getting to that state of flow, getting to that state, and what it does is it gives you a set of an armor, I'm trying to think of some sort of metaphor here, set of armor for when, I call it the crapola, excuse me, but when the crapola comes in and hits us, because we're all gonna get hit with stuff. We, we can't go through life without stress. We can't go through, out, through life without some trauma somewhere, but we can be prepared for how to handle it because really it's more our reaction to what we're doing, what, what's happening to us that creates our state of mind and our, and, and it's not, it's not so much the event itself and it's how do we deal with it? That's going to determine, are we going to still feel joy? Are we going to still feel in flow? Or are we just going to say, Oh my God, this is just awful. And we have, we have choices. I actually wrote in one of my little journals, my word for the year, is choice because I decided we have choice from just about everything. And so that's my mantra. I love it. Very inspiring. And thank you for being a guest on Walk With Me podcast. Now, where can the audience find you? Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, my just put up there, my my website is the best place to go. Um, what I request people do or suggest people do is if you go to that website, uh, number one, if you're interested in the Women Who Empower book, that is out there. We have the book right there and it takes you right to the book on Amazon. Um, it also, if you sign up and just put your name in your email address, you can download. Um, I have two meditations. One of my dear friends, Janet Whitney had created for me. One is called power for my women who empower uh, book. And the other one is I'm so sorry for the distraction of my cat. Molly likes being on screen. Molly. Hello. Meet everybody. My apologies. Um, and 
the which the other the other meditation is um, called balance, and so and that's in honor of my upcoming book on life balance in the book that is called How to Break Free from Addiction to Busy. So that's I think the website's the best place to find just about everything more than you may ever want. <laughs> Fantastic, ladies and gentlemen, make sure to check out Michelle on her website. That's www.ryanglassdr.com. And Michelle, thank you again for being a guest on Walk With Me podcast. Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me. So appreciate it, Gigi. Thank you. You're welcome. And again, that's www.ryanglassadr.com. <laughs> you all have a great day. Yeah.